Have have you found those um, particularly useful or effective in in converting to a sale? Uh, Extremely effective. It's, It's probably the best thing you can possibly do. Welcome to the Active Marketer Podcast, where we talk about how to design, automate, and scale your business to the next level using sales and marketing automation. You can find out all the tips, tactics, and techniques you need to get more customers and sell more stuff over at theactivemarketer.com. Now, here's your host, Barry Moore. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Active Marketer Podcast. Very, very exciting. And I really wanted to come out swinging with a great guest. So this week, we've got James Shramko on the show for an interview about profitable email marketing. But before we get to that, I just want to tell you a little bit about what you can expect from the upcoming episodes of the Active Marketer Podcast. This show is going to be all about how you can design, automate, and scale your business to the next level using sales and marketing automation. We're going to be talking about all things sales funnels, landing pages, marketing automation, automated sequences to get the right message in front of the right customer at the right time, all that kind of groovy stuff. Now, we're active campaign specialists here at theactivemarketer.com, but all the tips and tactics and techniques we use or we talk about apply to any of the major marketing automation platforms like Infusionsoft and Entreport, as well as Active Campaign. So if you've got any of those platforms, you can use what we're talking about. I'd also like to find out what you're interested in hearing about. So you can send me an email at barry, B-A-R-R-Y, at theactivemarketer.com, or just leave us your comments in the comments section right below the show notes. And you can find these show notes over at theactivemarketer.com forward slash episode one. We've got some other really great guests lined up. Interviews are in the can and ready to go. But this week, as I said, we've got James Shramko on for an interview. And if you're not familiar with James, James Shramko runs uh, superfastbusiness.com. And he also runs a silvercircle.com, which is a private coaching community. Uh, James is a really successful online marketer, uh, and he's also running an upcoming live event in Sydney. If you're going to be in the Sydney area March 5th and 6th, you can see him over at Superfast Business Live in Manly in Sydney. And I'll be there as well, so if you see me walking around, by all means, grab me, say good day, and we can have a chat about marketing automation. But one of the best things I like about James is he's a pretty straight-up, straightforward, genuine kind of guy, which is... Uh, not always the case in the internet marketing world. Um, so James is really blunt. He's really straightforward, and he tells it like it is, and he really likes to help people build their businesses. So I know James sends out a lot of email marketing. He's really, really good at it. Uh, he sends millions of emails a year. So I got him on the show to talk about profitable email marketing, how you can be doing it right. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with James Shramko. All right, I'd like to welcome James Shramko to the podcast. James, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here, Barry. Um, I guess, James, you're you're widely known for your own the race course strategy, which is kind of a content marketing strategy about getting your content out in as many places in front of as many people as you can. Uh, but today, I wanted to talk to you about email marketing. Uh, I heard you on another podcast, and so you, you're you're so prolific with podcasting. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but. You were talking about, I think it was 2013, you'd sent out uh, something like a million plus emails. So do you have any uh, idea about how many you've sent out in 2014? Uh, yeah, I've sent out um, 1.3 million emails. <laughs> 
1.3, that's an impressive number. What kind of um, infrastructure are you using to send that out? I'm using uh, Office Autopilot, which is now called Entreport. Is it, nice. And all the outbounds are just going through them as well? Yeah. I mean, look, there's a couple of emails I send from my Gmail account just for usually replying to, say, a survey email where I'll be sending it from my own email system. And I think I send about a 1,000 emails a month from my personal account, but that's to my team and yeah, yeah. in reply to customers and just general stuff. So those ones going out through your marketing automation system, are they are they for all your business units or are those just for for people who have visited your website or does that include like Silver Circle and your private membership community and that sort of thing? I can run all of the different divisions from that one account and uh, even the different co-branded podcasts. Okay, very cool. Um, so how are you segmenting the customers amongst all that? And how are you keeping so, who's who all straight in that million plus emails? Well, the really good thing about a system like that is that you can tag people uh, with with labels and then you can make up groups depending on what tags people have. So you can be very specific with who you're targeting and you, you want to have the right message to the right person at the right time and it's very easy to do that with a system that allows you that ability to segment. So if someone comes in from a podcast, we can tag them as being from the podcast and then I can make a group up saying, hey, everyone with this tag will call this the podcast list. So if we put a new episode out, we can only just email those people and not sending a broadcast to everyone. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess the, the crux of my question is, are you, are you using those tags um, to track the source or, or, or what products they buy or what kind of business unit they're in or all of the above? All of the above. You, of the you, above. Can, you can have, um, you know, there's unlimited tags that you can use. And I think you can go a little bit tag crazy. But the, the types of tags that I have would be into different sort of segments like checkout tag. If someone visits a checkout page, there'll be a, a source tag from where they came, like what, what marketing ch channel, like Facebook, for example. Yeah, for for opt-ins that aren't a purchase, and then there'll be product tags, which will list every single line item that someone actually buys. So they're the they're the basic tags. Marketing source ones, we literally tag source, yeah. and then we put the different type of location that they first opted in. One of the newest tags we're adding is topic tags, which is where we tag people according to the topic that they've opted in on. So if they come into a podcast like this where we were talking about email marketing, we might tag them topic email marketing. Right. Very cool. Well, that was my follow-up question. You can't go tag crazy and I'm guilty of going tag crazy on a number of occasions. But um, So how are you keeping all those tags straight? How do you know which tags are which? Are you, are you using some sort of taxonomy to, to keep track of all those or are they or – um, are they kind of in different parts of the system or how are you keeping all, how do you know this tag is a source tag as opposed to a product tag as opposed to a theme tag? Uh, well, we literally say what type of tag it is in the, as a codec. So we have okay, yeah. check it, check out colon and then the, the page that the checkout was or the product that the checkout was. And we have product colon and whatever product someone purchased. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. What kind of, what are some of the sequences you might use examples of different sequences you might be using in your business? Well, I guess we have the, the most common types, the, the welcome type sequences when someone buys something that directs them to their product purchase and explains to them 
um, how to get the most value from it and uh, and then a checkup a little bit later to make sure that everything's running smoothly. So you might call that an onboarding sequence. Yeah. We have abandonment sequence. So if someone visits a checkout page but doesn't buy, we like to follow up and find out um, how they're going if they need help or uh, you know just redirect them back to where they were last because sometimes people forget to buy or they've got a question that wasn't solved. We have unsubscribe sequences, which is probably one of the most powerful ones because my business is set up mostly recurring subscriptions. So if someone stops a subscription, it will automatically send them a note just uh, basically identifying with them, hey, look, your subscription stopped. If that was a mistake or a billing error, you know, you can go here and rejoin. If not, um, please hit reply and let let me know why you're leaving. And it's, a, it's kind of a unsubscribe um, reactivation request combined with a, a feedback uh, survey thing. So that's pretty cool. I also have affiliate promotion sequences. So when people have registered an interest in a particular topic and they click on a certain link, it will start sending them information about that topic and explaining why I decided it was good for the business and and often it will combine an incentive there's also event-specific countdown sequences. So right now I'm holding a live event and it will automatically send emails to people just before a price increase as we go from early bird to normal pricing and it will identify who still hasn't purchased a ticket yeah. uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. I've got cross-selling sequences which – has a look to see when someone buys something if they have the related product or not and then it can recommend it if they don't. And then I've just got general survey stuff. So it's just probing to find out stuff such as you know, why people bought or um, what results they got so that I might generate testimonials right. or case studies. Very cool. So at a ballpark, how many – Automated sequences? Do you think you have built into that into the system? I'd say fifty six. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a that's a good ballpark. Um, and any trouble or any lessons about how you keep all those straight in your head, or are they all documented to the nth degree in SOPs, or uh, are they just documented, self documented in the system? When I went to this system, I spent a week reading the. Uh, the information and just watching the training videos and then I went in and had a go at setting up the sequences that I needed to start with and then I've just added a couple along the way but once you've built one, it's reasonably easy to just copy a sequence and just change names. So when, when we add a new product, for example, it's just a matter of adding in the um, different product name and putting a different filter and changing which cart that it's responding to. So once you set up, it's not that much to maintain. And, and the fact is I'm not really in there doing a whole lot of manipulation of our active responses or, you know, step sequences. Once they're set up, I just let them run and occasionally just modify a link or a message in the sequence if I find a way that I could improve it. And it's something that that needs reviewing from time to time, but it's not something that's hands-on once it's set up. And are you um, are you tracking those sequences back to a dollar value, back to a conversion value, like especially those those source-based sequences? Uh, I can. I can make groups and I can 
actually look at lead scoring. So I do attribute a dollar or I actually give points when yeah. people buy things. So yeah. I can actually drill down and look at it but I don't spend a whole lot of time doing it because in my mind it's really just comes down to yes or no and that is, is it worth the time and effort to set this up? If it's a yes, then I'll just do it. I know it's making dollars, so how many dollars doesn't really matter. I've got the sequence, so it's good to have. And are there any particular types of sequences or particular types of email that you're finding are more effective for conversions or sales than other ones? Well, I think one of the biggest changes for my business was adding the cart abandonment because those people have registered an interest in buying but not gone ahead. So I, I believe that if you can get that up and running, that's a really worthwhile sequence to have. And of course, in my business, the unsubscribe sequence is vital because if you can keep a customer, it's much more effective than trying to go and get a new one. And rather than just let someone go unquestioned, that little investigation as to why someone stopped or fixing up a bug in in a billing system is definitely worthwhile. So I'd say that one also is a, is a really profitable sequence to have. Yeah, for sure, especially with those recurring uh, recurring monthly customers, you know, once they leave, that's that's monthly revenue for who knows how many months that you're going to miss out as opposed to just one single sale, you know. Any any kind of ideas what percentage that card abandonment sequence is saving or bringing people back to the fold? Uh, the card abandonment, I would estimate about 20%. Oh, wow. I think I think it really makes a huge difference because uh, I, I do see people responding to that follow-up and you can get a feel for how many people were on that list that then get migrated across to a product list so that you can actually measure that one. Yeah, very cool. I remember too like years ago when I first came across you and came across your website and I, I was having a look at – um, I think so, some of your website services and about like three days later, I got one of those nine word emails. Hey, are you still interested in, <laughs> in buying a website? And I was like, how the hell did he do that? And uh, obviously I've subsequently, I've gone and found out, but uh, that I think those nine word emails are really, really simple and really, really effective. Have you found those um, particularly useful or effective in, in converting to a sale? Uh, extremely effective. It's It's probably the best thing you can possibly do. And, um, you know, when people actually reply to those with the reason why they weren't or with, the, with an excuse or an objection, quite often it's giving you the feedback or data that you need to be able to change the messaging and to, to save a lot of future sales. So it's not just that one person, you're leveraging your sales copy and there's nothing more important than increasing conversions on your website because most people in online marketing have a conversion problem. Yeah, I think, you know, I think every, well, everyone says, you know, it's easier to, to convert more of the people you have than to go out and try and double your traffic or something like that. But, uh, and it's all about conversions and, and good copywriting. And, and if you have those feedback loops, like those sequences, and, and if you can get people to reply in those exit sequences that you've got going on, people stop a subscription, then obviously that's a feedback loop to make your copy better, make your conversion rate go up. So yeah, really good tip there. Um, uh, another thing I came across was uh, I'm obviously a member of your super fast business community, which I think is fantastic and, and great value for anybody who's building an online business. But I was really, really surprised by one of the threads in there where we were talking about conversions. And you shared with us some of your um, 
conversion stats about how many touch points someone had had before they converted to the sale. And I think it was like 25 or something like that. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? People uh, are there. They're always there. As a general rule, more than half the people on my website have visited before. So it sort of ties in with the way that I market. It's more of a farming style than a hunting style. It's not as threatening or maybe not even as profitable up front doing it that way. But if you're there to nurture and grow for the long haul, eventually the crop grows and you can harvest it. And it might take a long time. Uh, and, and I have this metaphor about making grange, which is a fabulous red wine in Australia. It takes a long time to produce and to build its reputation. But it starts out as a little grape on a vine and it ends up you know, over the long haul maturing and growing into a fantastic product. And I think in my case, being uh, available to people through multiple modalities, with accessing people through iTunes and also YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and on my own website and my email list gives me the ability to maintain communications without having to be overly pushy. And when someone's intrigued or ready to, to get more value, they just drop and uh, it might take years. In some cases, it's taken five or six years, which is probably far too long. But it's a great snowball effect. It just keeps going. So those people who, if you're doing that hunter and gather type effect where you, you're, you know, you're trying to shoot the game as they wander into the field rather than nurturing and get them to come back, you would have lost that sale you know, after two minutes. But since you're nurturing those people, they keep coming back. And, and I would imagine you've had people in your membership community that have been there for years and years and years and years and probably will, will never leave. Exactly. It, these people stay for a long time and the lifetime customer value is extraordinary. I just wanted to loop back to something you said about Facebook and Twitter, and I know you don't you don't use those very much, um, and you're more kind of prolific in in blog posts and videos and in especially podcasting, very prolific in podcasting. Um, I find it interesting that you know you don't have to result to kind of what I find is spammy tactics. Of I know you do a bit of retargeting, but. Um, it seems to be all the rage at the moment that as soon as, you know, you look at someone's product on a website somewhere, they're following you around for, <laughs> for days and days and months and months with the retargeting cookies. Um, how have you, f- have, have you found that retargeting experience? Uh, well, I've been able to generate sales to my event for like one cent in uh, ad spend. Wow. So that's pretty impressive. But do you, do you have a guideline for how often you do it? Because the reason I ask is because I, I looked at someone's product on their website. I won't say who it was, but, um, and I was, it was a seminar that they were giving and I was thinking about going to it and, um, I needed some more time to consider it. But then for the next kind of two weeks, every single website, like at least 30 times a day, their ad was in front of my face. And it got to the point where it's just like, right, I'm never going to this thing now. <laughs> just out of principle because they've been hitting me up 30 times a day for the last two weeks. It was ridiculous. I think retargeting can be, it's a tool and it can be used rightly or wrongly. You know, a a knife can cut a steak or it can stab someone. (laughs) So (laughs) you've you've got to be sensitive to the different levels of people's tolerance and also it's got to fit with your overall 
idea about how you want to be in the marketplace, how long you want to be in the marketplace and how long how you want people to perceive you. But for my retargeting, it's very, very bespoke. You know, I'm really zooming in on just the right person for what I'm trying to achieve that I sincerely believe is going to help them be better off. So, you know, if someone visits the checkout page for my live event, I don't see any major harm in just putting a live event banner for that person. Or if if they're on my email list, it's kind of nice to be able to run a little ad for them in Facebook, just, just nudging them. Because what I found as a promoter is that every single time I run an event, every year, people leave it to the last minute. And I think it's it's sort of helping them out if they can access an early bird ticket, make a little bit of a saving and help me shore up my event and give me some stability in, in what's happening and prepare better. So I think it's a win-win if it's done right. And absolutely, yeah, you could take it too far or be or, or reveal that you know so much about the customer in the ad, which is a bit sort of creepy. No one wants to know that you know everything about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to be uh, you want to you don't want to be that guy that's just uh, totally stalking everyone just for a sale. But um, at the same time, you know, the, everyone everyone in Australia is carrying around a flybys card that they swipe at the supermarket <laughs> checkout. Yeah. And it reveals yeah. absolutely every item that they've ever purchased, and I'm sure they get targeted for advertisements offline. So this is not an it's not an unusual or a new concept when you think about it. It's just that some people get too excited about it and and push it too hard. And and like most markets and most tactics, it's the internet marketers who go and break things and um, push things to the limit and start getting banned and and uh, making it more difficult for everyone who's who's a little more controlled about their approach. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, just going back to that social media, Facebook kind of stuff, um, is, is there is that been a kind of a conscious choice that you don't want to really engage too much in that channel or is that just not where your customer avatar is or it just doesn't resonate with you? Or, Well, I think they have a – I don't want to spend my life on Facebook. Yeah. I just think that's the saddest thing ever. I see people <laughs> on there like, like 12 hours a day and I think what sort of life are they living? That's – it doesn't appeal to me, but I do use those channels. I'm using them for advertisements. I do upload my podcasts and syndicate there, but I wouldn't spend more than an hour and a half on Facebook a week. And I think in five to 10 years from now, there'll be some great declaration that Facebook or social media sites, let's not target them, is some kind of social cancer that's destroyed society and communities. So I leave my phone now when I go out to a meal or a coffee shop I'm I'm switched off from technology a great deal of the time compared to my peer group and I just don't think everyone else can see what they're actually doing. If you watch people walk down the street, they nearly get run over because they're texting and walking at the same time. It's a yeah. scourge of society and you know these lifestyle marketers who are on Facebook 24 hours a day, that's it's just a joke to me and I don't understand why other people fall for that. Yeah, it's not exactly. What, I don't need to see what my next door neighbor ate for breakfast. <laughs> and I'm not that interested in some funny video of a guy slipping over or or whatever. To me, life can be much richer than that. I'd I'd rather be paddling around the Pacific Ocean on a piece of fiberglass catching waves or reading a great book. Uh, you know, everyone's got their own thing, but for me, I don't I don't need to to have social media as a distraction in, to living. And I think that people aren't 
really considering where they're spending their time and they'd be horrified if they were to look at it on a spreadsheet or something. They say the average American watches like seven or eight hours of video a day. That's frightening to me. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And I remember I was uh, catching a ferry in Brisbane and we were waiting for the ferry to come. It was a beautiful day and we're sitting on the river and it was just a magic little, you know, a natural environment there. And there's six other people waiting for the ferry as well and they all had their heads down on their iPhones and I'm sure they were all on Facebook seeing what their neighbors had for breakfast. And I was like, lift your head up. It's a beautiful day. You're right by the river, you know. Aside Um, from that, you know, if you're going to be spreading all your content on social media, it provides very little incentive or rarity or specialty in people accessing your premium content. I think people just dilute themselves too much. All right. Um, uh, just to loop back to the email stuff. Um, so you do a lot of coaching and mentoring. Um, and are there common mistakes that you see people make when they set out to do email marketing for their business? Well, I think the shotgun blast is a pretty common one. That's where you have a one big list and you blast it over and over again. It's kind of selfish if you think about it. Um, it doesn't follow my golden rule and that is that if I send an email out, I've got to be considerate of my recipient's time and they have to be better off for opening the email. So I always make sure there's value for my receiver and I also want to make sure that it's segmented and appropriate. So for, for them to get value, it's got to be relevant. It's got to have context. They've got to have agreed to be on the list. It's got to be at a frequency that is fair and reasonable and they have to think, this is good. I don't want to unsubscribe. That's really what I'm trying to achieve on a list. So more laser segmenting than shotgun. Yeah, one shot, one kill, as they say. Um, um, and just finally, um, I was wondering if you might be able to share a simple sequence with the listeners that they could go away and implement in their business uh, that might help. Well, I would say if, if you if you were to follow up on something that you've sold uh, a few days later with um, just an open question that's something like, hey, hey, Barry, a few days ago you purchased a XYZ. Uh, I'm just wondering how that's going, question mark. And it's just something like that. People get a chance to reply and say, oh, it's really good. It's better than I thought. Or, oh, actually, you know, I'm still waiting for something or I haven't gotten it. Didn't feel like it specifically addressed my concern or whatever. So it gives you a chance to to save an otherwise bad experience. And this is especially relevant if you have a service for sale because, you know, services are a lot about expectation matching and being able to fulfill on expectations. Because when we're marketing and selling, it's pretty common that people hype up the sales letter a bit, but you do actually have to deliver once they've purchased. Yeah, so, exactly. so the sequence this is quite a simple sequence. But it's just a post-purchase follow-up to see how everything's going. And you can come up with your own wording on that. But I like to receive those in my inbox. I like to respond. It's 99% positive. And I screenshot the positives and I put them in my little positive file. Yeah, so that uh, if I ever get a complaint or a a little entrepreneurial entrepreneurial lull where you're wondering, um, you know, if this is the right business for you, you just have a look through there and remind yourself that you're doing good work, that people are happy, you're making a change and significance out there. You can also pass on the feedback to your team if they're involved in creating that positive result because it's great to give positive feedback into 
a bunch of people who are working for you side by side to deliver this great experience that you know that you've set as the goal and you're actually achieving it it's important to know that and of course if something's not going perfectly you've got an ability to correct it before it gets sprayed on social media or sent to a complaints board or a chargebacks filed, which is what happens if people don't feel that they can connect or communicate with the seller and they're not happy, even if it's their own problem. Sometimes the seller can be penalized from their own lack of uh, ease of communication. Yeah, for sure. And, and I guess too, for a bigger ticket item, it kind of heads off the buyer's remorse if they hear from you straight away and, and um, you're trying to ask them how they're interested and how they're going and how they're getting getting on with a, a more expensive product. They don't worry about whether it was the right purchase or not. Yeah, people are investing in themselves and you're showing them that not running from the sale. It's not like, hey, I got your money. Now I don't want to hear from you, which yeah. seems to be a common approach to, hey, uh, thanks for investing in yourself. I'm here to help you. Let's make sure this is getting you the result that you need. Uh, and, you know, I'm right here. Fantastic. All right, James, well, really great advice for anybody out there who's starting off with uh, email marketing, especially marketing automation. Um, I really appreciate your tips, and they're fantastic. And I look forward to seeing you at Super Fast Business Live in Manly. I'll see you there, Barry. Thank you. Thanks, James. Wow, some really great and useful tips from James there. I really enjoyed that. I hope you got something out of it. Certainly some really good lessons for me, some takeaways. One is that unsubscribe sequence. So if you don't have one of those, it's really a great way to, one, keep people around. If they think they want to unsubscribe, it gives you a chance to bring them back into the fold. Uh, I've seen this done really well by Vishen Lakhiani from uh, Mindvalley as well. If you try to unsubscribe to their list, it takes you to a page, actually, that's got a, a video from Vishen who who talks all about Mind Valley and tries to keep you engaged. It's a really good example. I'll link to it in the show notes there. Some other takeaways there are that, you know, James said he uses a philosophy for people have to be better off for opening and reading the email. And I think that's a really good outlook and a really good uh, strategy to have when you start drafting emails that you're going to send out to your customer list. Make sure they're packed with value and they help your customer along their journey to the next step in their journey. So really good stuff there. If you want to review everything, it'll be all in the show notes over at theactivemarketer.com forward slash episode one. All the links we mentioned uh, and a bit of review of what we talked about will be there. And again, I'll be in Sydney in Manly at Superfast Business Live March uh, 5th and 6th. If you happen to be in the area, you see me walking around or you want to have a sit down and chat about marketing automation, by all means, send me an email uh, or grab me if you see me walking around down there. Some really great uh, episodes coming up on the Active Marketer podcast. We've got interviews with John Logar and Jake Howard, Dan Norris, and Andre Chaperone uh, coming up as well. So make sure you don't miss any of them. Head over to theactivemarketer.com forward slash podcast and sign yourself up and we'll send you emails out when all the new episodes are published so you don't miss anything. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time on theactivemarketer.com and get out there and design, automate, and scale your business to the next level. See everybody. Thanks for listening to the Active Marketer Podcast. You can find the show notes and all the latest marketing automation news over at theactivemarketer.com.